0: Our Father, we, we love you so much, Lord, and we want to give you thanks for this day, this day that you've created. Well, Lord, just even in the, the separation that we've all had to abide in recently, it makes these gatherings so much sweeter, Lord. To have the full worship team up here, Lord, to watch them love one another, to watch them love you, to watch them use the gifts that you've given to them to worship you and to lead us in the worship of you, Lord. It's, it's sweet. We give you thanks. So we just saying repetitiously, Lord. Here's our hearts. Remove out of us that stubbornness, Lord, and that hardness. And give to us, Lord, the new hearts that you've promised. Your mind, your heart, your love, your compassion. And in that transformation, Lord, that out of our hearts would flow your praise. And out of our hearts, Lord, would flow your work and your words. Here's our lives, Lord. all of our lives. We're bound in you. There's nothing hidden from you. There's nothing that we have that you have not given because you are worth following. Thank you for these people. Not only are you with us, Lord, but you've given each one of us as a gift to one another. May we be a blessing to one another this morning and an encouragement and a help at everything that we do. Honor you and lift you up and exalt you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm walking up here and I got a little early and Stacy's like, No, not yet. But I, was wondering why and I you can't do there. I can't do a U-turn. Oh, no. Where was the the song before Here's My Heart? Yeah, yeah, that one. Oh, the trickle of the old is starting to come in, huh? It's good to see all of your faces and to be in your presence. Uh, This is... uh, I've always looked forward to Sundays, but I'm looking forward to them more and more just as we get the chance to fellowship with one another. So as we sit in this season, um, by way of announcements, uh, next, so for this upcoming week, there's no changes. Um, Next weekend, Steve and Tina Same are going to be here. They're the missionaries that we have supported as a congregation in London for, I think, over 20 years. Uh, So Steve will be speaking next weekend. Um, So there's going to be no change to our schedule. And then because I'm not speaking this upcoming weekend, that means I don't have to worry about studying and stuff, which means I get to spend more of my time in praying and planning what the future holds for us as a congregation. And this is what I'm asking you to pray for. So in this song that we were singing earlier in regards to the Spirit of God to lead us, I don't want to, as a congregation just go back to what we used to do because that's what we used to do and that's what's comfortable. We want the Spirit of God to lead us. So whatever the future holds for us, whatever is added, whatever is changed, we want the Spirit of God to lead us. So if God says that it's wrong, then we're going to say no. If God says for us to release something, we're going to let go. If Jesus is in it, if Jesus is in it with us, We'll begin. If he says to jump, we're going to dive in. If he tells us to be still, we're going to wait. If he tells us to trust, we're going to obey. Why? Because we don't want to follow our own ways. We want him to teach us to follow him in his way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. He is the only way. Amen? So in that, so all's normal this week, that following week we will get a questionnaire uh, with a variety of questions on what are the needs that we need to meet uh, with one another in the congregation? You know, what do Wednesday nights look like? What does children's ministry look like? What does the student ministry look like? Just all these different facets. What does evangelism look like? What does outreach look like? We need to we need to have this conversation together. It doesn't need to be me just dictating what what we do. But this is a community. We are in this together. This is the place that God has given to us. This is the community that God has given to us. What does the future look like, Lord? Spirit, lead us. Amen. So be praying all of that actively. Um, This morning, we are in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, Paul steps into Corinth. So that means we're going to cover the first 18 verses of, of Acts 18 this morning. Steve's going to be next week, and then the following seven or eight weeks after that, we're going to go through 1st and 2nd Corinthians together, because it's going to give us, again, just that fuller context and flavor of the relationship that Paul had with this church in Corinth. So this morning, just kind of by way of roadmap, we're going to read through the verses first, and then we'll back up and give lots of clarity and context. So let us pray before we jump into the incredible Word of God. So, Father, again, we come running boldly to you again. We are so thankful for your word, Lord, that you've communicated, that you have spoken to us, that you have preserved for us. For your spirit that is within, speaking to us moment by moment through the day. For your word, again, for your truth that you've preserved, Lord, so that we can know you and understand you and grow in you. So thankful for the power of your word. This is why we open it up as often as we gather together. Your word is powerful, Lord. Your word is true. So speak to us this morning. Change us, transform us, lead us. Cause great faith and trust and hope to well up in us towards you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Acts 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles." And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, "'Do not be afraid.'" But speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment scene, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, Look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. All right. So remember, just the overarching uh, conveyance—just what what Paul, not Paul—it's Luke who has written this. What Luke is written to Theophilus. Again, he is described. We call it the Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. We translate that more into we're watching and witnessing the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But even as a, this word "tent maker," it's this whole idea, God is doing His workmanship throughout all of history. God is the one who has created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who has created all humanity. We read last week, he is the one that has set the boundaries and the times of the limits, not just of individuals, but of cultures. God is the one who is at work. So as we're here in the midst of Acts, we are watching God at work. And he's not only at work in individuals' lives, he's at work in community lives. This is one of these. This is God chose Abraham all the way back 4,000 years ago to what? That Abraham would teach his children righteousness and justice. That Abraham would know God, and in his knowledge of God, and his experience of God, and relationship with God, he would teach his children. That's those individuals, those kids, would be in their communities as salt and light, conveying to the world who has turned its back on God and rejected God and is filled with its own idolatry and its own wants and its own lusts. Under the motivation of the deceiving one, of the tempter of Satan and the flesh and sin and all these things, God chose Abraham to be light, to convey, to speak to the world this is the true and living God. And as he brings in all the story of the Jews, we have this this land right in the middle there of Israel. This land that God promised. They're in the center of all these other nations that are around them. And as you flow through the story of the Bible, you have Egypt was this this dominant kingdom. And Egypt pressed northward through Israel and into the, the northern countries. Later on, you watch Assyria come down. Then you watch the Babylonians come over. Then you watch the Persians come over. Then you watch the Greeks come over. And now, in this context, Rome is the ruling authority over all these different countries. And I say this because as Paul has been radically transformed by who Jesus is, madly in love with him, I picked up this word compelled out of the text this morning. This means Paul's entire life was preoccupied by Jesus. Whatever he was doing, whatever the context was, whoever he was speaking to, this is the example that we have in this man, that he was all just bound up in Jesus. But as Jesus and the Holy Spirit send Paul into all these different communities each community that they go to is radically different. In this immediate section where we've been, as, as the Holy Spirit gave Paul a vision to go into Macedonia, Macedonia, it's a different country than Athens. It's a different country down here than Corinth. Yes, Rome is the dominant authority. Yes, they all have their roots in this Greek culture. But as he's in Philippi, That is a specific community and a specific time with its specific culture and its specific nuances that was different than Thessalonica, that's different than Berea, that's different than Athens, and that is radically different than Corinth. Corinth at this time, as Paul is stepping into this community, he's just left Athens. He was in Athens all by himself, and now he's gone 50 miles to the west in Corinth. And again, Corinth was, uh, we all have the phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We all know what Vegas is known for in our culture, right? That's what Corinth was. Corinth was known. There's, there's, uh, there are words in the Greek that have Corinth tied to it um, that are uh, idioms for, if you're a Corinthian, then you are an immoral person. So the, the sexual immorality in Corinth was rampant. But not only that, it's, it was a cutthroat business culture. So for this instance, we're given as Paul steps into Corinth that he meets this Jew, Aquila, and his wife, Priscilla. This couple had been expelled from Rome. And this is a... This is history where we have to guess at a little bit. We have a document from about 70 years later that uses this word crestus. That it was because of crestus is why Claudius expelled the Jews out of Rome. It's seen as as a a, mistranslation of the word Christ. So the idea culturally is the conflict between Jews and Christians in Rome caused a tumult in the culture where... Claudius, the emperor, just sent them all out. And as that event happens in Rome, Claudia or uh, Aquila and Priscilla are this new couple in Corinth. And again, in a, in a cutthroat business culture. So let's uh, let's just bring New York into the context. You right now, you pick up your family and you go start a restaurant in New York City. How cutthroat is the restaurant business in New York City? Are you gonna fly only by the grace of God, right? It's the same thing for Aquila and Priscilla. Here's this husband and wife that have been booted from their community that who knows how long they lived in it and they've recently come to Corinth. They've set up shop. They've set up business in Corinth. And when Paul comes down, however the interaction happens, there's a relationship. It's believed that Aquila and Priscilla, that they were already believers at this time. So there may be that fellowship but they find themselves in fellowship in the same occupation and this occupation is tent making so paul from his childhood after childhood his education in this culture you're you're taught some kind of trade and his trade was being a tent maker so whether this is providing portable homes or if this is providing you know, a tent structure, a canopy structure over the businesses and the marketplaces. This is the business in which he has engaged himself in. Now, in our culture, we use tent making for what? Do you guys know what this term is used for? It's used for the work that Christian missionaries do to support themselves in whatever context that they find themselves in. It's a tent making job. Now, for me personally, this is a, this is a word that has um, my position on it and my understanding on it has morphed over time as I found myself in different positions in life and my walk with Christ. So for Julie and I, after our daughter was born, it was pursuing the Lord of, Lord, here I am, here's my life, I love you. You were you directing our lives. We want to offer our lives to you. Show us, show us what the next thing is. And we were praying about going on for me to get a, a master's in business. And at that time, and again, I don't have the specific words that the Lord spoke to me, but just the, the idea that I was not to pursue a corporate ladder, um, but that I was to pursue the Lord. Now, in my youth... In being naive and understanding what that was, it was kind of like, I'm to have nothing to do with the business world. And uh, the business world is evil and uh, good Christians, you better be all about Jesus, all on ministry, all on tasks. This is what it's, you know, because this is where the Lord was directing me. So in that, you know, I started pursuing not just ministry and service and serving the Lord, but getting some kind of biblical education, so uh, pursuing the Bible college that was there at the church. And then I ended up going on staff at the church in Salt Lake. So I thought, now I'm done with the corporate world, and now I'm working in the church. This is what the Lord has called me uh, to do. So I don't have a tent-making job. I have a full-time ministry job. Again, I've never been proud in this. I've never been puffed up in this, or in in. I've never had this distinction between clergy and laity. This is just where the Lord uh, was leading me and processing in my life. And again, travel down the road, and we have this call to leave that work which God had placed our hands on to go do something else, and the something else was to go and plant a church. I'm not a church planner. It's not my personality. But Lord, if you're calling, if you're telling me to let go of that, I'll release and I'll follow you. Because I understand the word. I know what the cost of discipleship is. And he, and he took us through this whole season. Well, when he brought us here, he brought us here for one thing. We thought that we were going to help plant a different Calvary Chapel. He leads us here, but he provided a job that's in my mind I looked at it solely from this perspective of tent making. That this is something that I have to do on the side so that I can do what the Lord has really called me to do. And that ended up being pastor here, pastoring the church, and that what all of the different functions that that provides. So over time, everything in regards to that tent making job, I was seeking to get here as full-time as quickly as possible. So as the church continued to grow, the finances grow, we were able to come here full-time. And then I've had multiple, and again, it wasn't always full-time because I still continue to do contract work so that we can continue to support our household, doing that tent-making job on on the side so that we can do exactly what the Lord has called us to do. And a year ago, again, I had multiple offers prior to this of just you know inviting to come back full-time at work no way I don't want to because I can't do both it's too hard and again like I have to sit with this with Paul you know he has to sit in the difficulty of providing for himself and minister to the community a community that is in opposition yeah this is this is not an easy life it's a hard life but I had you know, this, this offer to come back, and it was one of those moments that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. But God had to speak to me in a way of, Blake, I am calling you to work at NCF just as much as I am calling you to work at CCA. And that I will enable you and give you the power to do both according to my will. And this is something that we had to continue to walk out in in faith and trust. And again, I can look at the wisdom of God in hindsight just a year ago. For us as a congregation, if we had to deal with my full-time salary and insurance on top of that and just all the other expenses, just even right now, like we would feel that pressure as a congregation if we had those kinds of expenses, and we don't. So I can look at that as a blessing in just a year ago and how the Lord has provided not only for my household, but how he has provided for our congregation at the same time and all of his faithfulness. So I bring up my story in this... um, I guess in a little bit more detail than it's probably necessary, but this is kind of how I sit and process through this whole idea of tent making. And this, is, and this is the idea, and this is where we're focused on the word compelled this morning. There is no separation between any aspect of your life. We are called by God to be fully consumed by and preoccupied with Jesus and Jesus alone. There is no separation and distinction in the different types of work that we do. The work that I do outside of this place and the work that I do inside of this place is just as much unto the Lord as all of your occupations. You can even, for those of you who stay home, a tent maker, a homemaker, their God is. The work that you do in, in whether it's towards spouse or towards children or towards being able to earn the finances that put the food on the table. To be able to earn the finances to be able to support the different work that God has called other people to do. and all of it, there's, there's no distinction between clergy and laity. There's no distinction between This work over here is secular, and this work over here is religious or is ministry. It is all ministry. And again, this is is a process that the Lord had to take me through and just to understand and to know and not to... um, For me to go back to work full-time at NCF, as I'm conveying that to, to other people, it can feel like there's a little bit of shame in it that... I wasn't successful in doing what the Lord had called me to do. It's a step backward. It's a step away. And God, again, he's the one that had to give me that clarity and instruction. No, son, this is exactly what I'm leading you to do. And again, this, this whole word and this idea, this is um, um, because it's a, it's a, it's a noun and it's a thing that we define the work that people do, um, it's It's something that is it's in its definition. it in my mind, there's this it, it's like trying to compartmentalize our life. Does that make sense? God has called us in a way where our life is not to be compartmentalized. I am just as much... I am called to be compelled by, preoccupied by the love of Christ and by his spirit in my relationship with my wife, in my parenting with my children, in this place as I serve you, in my workplace, in the interactions that I have with every single human being. We ought to be preoccupied fully with Jesus. Our culture tells us to separate these things out. Leave Jesus out of the political world. And when we talk about politics in this country, what do we talk about? We talk about God. So when we talk about God, that allows us to define that being in all different kinds of ways. Very generic term. But when we say the name of Jesus, all of a sudden there's a very clear distinction in what we're talking about and who we're talking about. So Paul, as he's in this community, he's working with his hands, he's working with the brother and sister, and not only is he doing a job that is providing for his livelihood, um, that job is tied to his calling to be in this community, to reason with them in the synagogue, and again, having a conversation and a persuasive conversation persuading both Jews and Greeks in regards to who Jesus is as the Christ, as the Messiah. And there again in verse 6, it's, it's uh, this relationship. Paul's been in this community alone. He meets Priscilla and Aquila. He's not so alone anymore. But there's something unique about his relationship that he has with both Silas and Timothy. Because when they come from Thessalonica... There's something about that relationship that they have with one another as co-laborers for the name of Jesus that stirs Paul up. He was already stirred up. He was already doing what he was supposed to be doing in the name of Jesus in that community. But when his brothers show up, the spirit starts pounding on Paul's heart. Paul is now fully preoccupied in preaching Jesus to this community and you, you, can, you can feel it in the text that when Silas and Timothy when they come from Macedonia that Paul is compelled and again it's to a, it's to a further degree he's preoccupied he's paying close attention fully devoted to what the spirit is doing in this moment and he was already testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ but you can you can feel an, an intensity In Paul, that swells up in him, not only from the Spirit, but I think very definitely from um, doing ministry together, serving the Lord, serving the church, serving the lost in the name of Jesus Christ, in him, by him, and for him. But in this community, just like in others, just like in Philippi, Thessalonica, every single one of these communities, there's been opposition, so in Corinth they are opposing, and not only they are they opposing Paul, but they are blaspheming the name of Jesus. Paul gives us gives us description of him shaking out his garments. It's it's a visual of you have rejected me and you have rejected the message you have rejected jesus so this this visual of shaking the dust off of your garments in this culture it's i am i'm shaking you out of of me you've rejected me you've rejected jesus i am rejecting you it's a, it's a powerful it loses its power because we don't do this in our culture, but that would be a very uh, offensive action for Paul to do before this group of Jews in this synagogue. And he gives us word from now on, he's going to go to the Gentiles. And we watch Paul... uh, Jesus clearly called Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles. We see that language throughout his letters and we see the activity of God in Paul's life as he is used in the lives of the Gentiles but it's not as though Paul all of a sudden just started ignoring his countrymen, the Jews. He continually had a heart for them. Just start reading in Romans 9, and you can see that heart that he had for his countrymen. And again, as we travel through the rest of the book of Acts and into the letters, we'll watch him minister to his countrymen over and over again. So he leaves the synagogue, teaching there, and wherever he's been living, for whatever reason, he takes up shop right next door in Justice's house, Have to assume that, you know, it says that he worshiped God. Again, the assumption is there is that he became a believer in Jesus Christ. And then this is another just snapshot that I really love in verse 8. So in Paul's shaking of his garments against the Jews in their rejection, who knocks on his door? The ruler of the synagogue. This man Crispus, as he's been interacting with Paul, as Paul has been in the synagogue, uh, teaching, persuading, convincing, as he's been preaching Jesus as Crispus for his, he himself and in the leadership position that he has. Um, With those that are in the synagogue, they're they're opposing. Did, Did Crispus himself blaspheme the name of Jesus in his opposition? But there's something about Paul. There's something about his example. There's something about the words that he has been preaching. There's something about the Holy Spirit behind the scenes working in Crispus' life. And this is one of the snapshots that I want us to hold on to as we talk about God is the one who has ordained our life. Before God created the heavens and the earth, he knew that he was going to call Paul and transform Paul and send Paul to this place in Corinth. And he knew that there was going to come a day where Crispus is there knocking on the door and Paul and Crispus are going to have this conversation about who Jesus Christ is. And then we get this test. Again, this is God orchestrating Crispus's life. This is God who created this man because he loved him. This is God orchestrating the details of his life to bring about, in Crispus's life, a bent knee to Jesus as Messiah. Just as attentive that God is towards Crispus is just as attentive as he is towards us. Not just to that moment of salvation, but every single day. This is how God is devoted to us. This is how he is preoccupied with us. And just as we are to image him in his love, in his compassion, in his devotion, this is what he's looking in us to return. So in this snapshot, Crispus, this ruler of the synagogue, bends the knee. He believes in Jesus. Not only that, with his household... We often look to, man, if, if this man, if this woman, if this leader, if they would come to the Lord, look at the influence that they could have in their community for Jesus. And again, there's uh, in this snapshot, that idea plays out in truth because many of the Corinthians who hear, not just hearing the gospel, absolutely, but they see that man, that leader, humble himself in the face of the opposition, in the face of the blasphemy that is being pronounced against Jesus, that man bent his knee, and other people hear it, it gives other people courage to bend their knee to Jesus also. Again, this is what, as we are preoccupied with Jesus, that as we bend the knee, that Lord... Use us as salt and light. Use our words. Use our lives to convince others to believe in you and trust in you and be immersed in you. Verse 9, the Lord is speaking to Paul by night in the vision. And out of his mouth is, Paul, don't be afraid, but speak. And these, these are imperative. Paul, do not be afraid. It's a command. Speak, it's a command. And do not keep silent. Why? That promise that's part of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew twenty eight twenty. I am with you. Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But here, no one will attack you to hurt you. I have many people in this city. This, this encouragement from Jesus, I think, is something that um, in, in reading through this, it's like, Lord, I can hear your spirit speaking to me, and at the same time, like, I know that there are those, and it's not just a sim- singular person, multiple people need to hear this. Jesus is with you. He has not left you, he has not forsaken you, but in your life, in your context, It might be right now where the the circumstances well up fear within you. And it may be a future moment. when, When Christ comes to Paul here in this vision, I don't know if Paul is currently afraid in that moment that he is demonstrating fear in regards to his circumstances and what's going on. And the Lord comes to him and says, Paul, don't be afraid. Or if Jesus is preparing them for circumstances in his immediate future, there are going to be circumstances that are going to cause fear to well up in you. And Jesus, his command for us not to be afraid is, he's not telling us to be emotionless. He's encouraging us that when you are in that moment of fear, what do you do with the fear? Take it to him, Lord, I trust you. This is scary. I don't understand. I can't see here. It's, there's opposition going on. Paul already has his history. He was beaten in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, chased out of Berea. No violence in Athens. Being opposed here is what happened to me there. Is that going to happen again? Again? We see in a moment where he's taken before uh, the the Roman ruler. Is he going to get beat again, just like he was beaten in Philippi? But this is Jesus. Don't be afraid. But the exhortation is, don't keep your mouth shut. Speak. I think that each one of us needs to sit in those words in regards to our speech. I am with you. I am present. Don't be afraid. I want you to speak. This world needs to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about who he is. They need to hear about his love. They need to hear about his sacrifice. They need to hear about his compassion. They need to see not just the words that come out of our mouth, but they need to see the action and the behavior. As we sit in current circumstances in our culture, church, do not be silent, but speak the gospel speak truth, speak love, speak reconciliation, speak hope, speak the gospel that is only found in the name of Jesus. Don't just speak about God generically, but speak about that man, Jesus, our God, creator of heavens and the earth that became just like us. In a culture that was incredibly violent. Are you struggling with the violence that's going on in our culture right now? Can you imagine living in this culture? The the, uh, second in command, Sosthenes, after Crispus leaves the synagogue. Sosthenes is now the ruler of the synagogue. This man brings an accusation against Paul before the Roman rulers of this community. And because the Roman ruler didn't want to hear about it, doesn't want to deal with these religious issues, he's there to deal with civil issues. Because he brings these false charges, so to learn his lesson, Sosnes, you're going to get beat. That was the consequence of his actions. They took the leader of the mob that brought Paul there, and they took him in the public. This is a, a Bema seat, the judgment seat. And again, in Corinth, the excavation is there. It's actually a wall about this high where Galileo would have been on this. And here is the marketplace back there. And here's the Bema seat, the judgment seat. And a mob has brought Paul there. And before Paul even opens his mouth, Gallio cuts him out. I don't want anything to do with this argument. And you, Sosthenes, you were a fool for bringing this here, and I'm not even going to pay attention as I let this mob beat you up because the punishment that you wanted for Paul, that's the punishment that you're going to receive. You know what's interesting? Really quick, just because it's fun and it's a preview. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul introducing himself, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Every time that he gives that title, there is, there is an authoritative doctrine and teaching that is going to flow out of his mouth and out of his pen, and we'll watch that. But look at this. An apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and who? Sosthenes, our brother. There's a question mark. Is it the same guy? Of course it's the same guy. This is one of these things that I love about that. There's all these names. You have Paul. You have Silas. You have Timothy. You have Crispus. You have Gallio. You have Sosthenes. You have Justus. Any other names that I missed out of that? You got all the Claudius. You have all of these human beings. And every single one of these human beings was created by God to have a relationship with him. The word of God tells us that this entire world already stands in condemnation before God. And that the reason that he sent his son was to save us from our condemnation. And as we watch him work, not just in the pages of the Bible, but as we watch him work in our lives, right now I'm praying, Lord, do it again. In our culture, in our time, through your spirit, may you occupy us. May the Holy Spirit occupy your mind and your heart in a way that causes you to be fully preoccupied in him, with him, by him, through him. That regardless of the work that you do to put food on the table, that in your preoccupation with him, that it would be the love of Jesus Christ for you and the love of Jesus Christ for all humanity as he transforms us, as he gives us new hearts of kindness and compassion and gentleness, as we find ourselves in positions and circumstances that cause us to worry and fear, be filled with anxiety, that he, his occupation of us would well up in us just great faith. God, I trust you. If you tell me to let go, I'll let go. If you tell me to jump in, Lord, both feet, I'm jumping in, I can't swim, you're going to make me able. If you tell me to wait, I'll wait. If you tell me to pick up the phone and call, I'll call. If you tell me to put my hands on this area of service, Lord, I'll do it. If you call me to fasting, I'll do it. If you call me to Bible study, I'll do it. If you call me to teaching, I'll do it. If you call me to service, I'll do it. If you call me to giving, I'll do it. Lord, whatever you direct me to do through your Spirit, I'll do it. And I'm going to do it because I watch you repeatedly work in the lives of not just individuals, but in the lives of a culture. And this is the idea here. When Jesus tells them not to be afraid, not to keep silent, I am with you, the end of this, I have many people in this city. Do you think that that's present tense or past tense at the time that Jesus spoke that to Paul? I've always read it as present tense until this week. Paul, don't worry, I've got many people in this city. You've got many brothers and sisters in this city that are going to help work alongside of you you as you share the gospel, as you work with your hands. I shifted this week. I think that this is future tense. I think Jesus knows the future, Paul, through you not keeping silent through you not being afraid, through you taking up courage in me, and through you opening your mouth, many people in this city who are mine and they don't know it yet are gonna bend their knees and their hearts and their lives to me. I have many people in this city Can you hear the voice of Jesus in your mind in regards to our own community? There are many people in this city who belong to Jesus and they don't even know it yet. So God, may you cause us to come across their paths. May you orchestrate our circumstances in a way in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that well up something that is defined by you as great faith that we'll trust you. And that, Lord, as we open our mouths, we will trust that your spirit who dwells within us will fill our mouths with your words that that person needs to hear in that moment. God help us. Worship team, come on up. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. And again, I, I love sitting in your word and in all the examples. I don't know how many times I've read through this passage, Lord, And here, on this occasion, you just caused my mind to focus in on the, I have many people in this city. I have a great concern, Lord, for, for those who don't know you. I know the yearning that I have, Lord, to know you and to make you known. I know that I only only see a portion of you, Lord, just a glimpse. What I know about you, I'm madly in love with you. And I know that you're worth um, letting go of everything for to follow you. Lord, I give you thanks for what you've already done in, in the past. How you've changed, how you've transformed us, how you've worked within us. Lord, we trust that you are the one who has brought us all together this morning. We trust you, Lord, that you've orchestrated our lives to be here in this moment. To fellowship with each other, yes, but more importantly, Lord, to fellowship with you, to participate in your life and in your plans and in your purposes. So I'm, I'm praying, Lord, that you would give us great boldness. Let us speak about Jesus whether it's verbally, Lord, or in writing, whether it's at home or the work or in the social, the, the social media sphere, whatever it looks, Lord, give us that boldness to speak truth, to speak love, to speak compassion, to speak hope, to speak reconciliation. You came, Jesus, to save us, and you have saved us. worship you. We worship you, Lord. We surrender all. And we look to you with great hope and with great joy. And we give you thanks for how you comfort us and encourage us to continue to follow you every day. We love you, Lord. We worship you.